This Week in Health Innovation is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand messaging alive via original or value-added, digitally curated content for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. Welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the producer and host of the show and publisher of acowatch.com. On today's show, my guest is Don Crane, President and CEO of America's Physician Groups, also known as APG. APG is the nation's leading professional association representing medical groups and independent practice associations modeling best-in-class coordinated care. APG is the nation's largest trade association that explicitly promotes capitation as the payment model for its members, all of whom accept various forms of risk-based capitation or other population-based payment. America's Physician Group's mission is to provide advocacy and education for physicians and to lead the coordinated care movement across the nation. APG is a professional association representing over 300 medical groups, IPAs, and integrated healthcare systems across the nation. Its members are committed to responsible payment models that assume accountability for both cost and quality, believing that patient-centered, coordinated, and accountable care offers the highest quality, most efficient delivery mechanism, and greatest value for patients. APG members have successfully operated under this budget-responsible model for several decades. Through an extensive national network built upon decades of successful delegation and capitation in California, APG equips its members with strong contracting knowledge and proven models of care coordination and management. And with that introduction, Don, welcome to the show and let's get right into it. Much of the innovation conversation seems to center around apps, platforms, devices, sensors, wearables, or other technology innovation, but on the ground in those all-important hospital, clinic, medical group workflows or care delivery, and I might add financing, we're not seeing material progress towards the triple, let alone the quadruple aim, where the former is better experience of care, better outcomes, and lower per capita costs. Costs are still rising, while an increasing share of that burden is shifted to the member, patient, or insured. Since APG and its members are actively modeling best practices to advance the value-based healthcare movement, where are you seeing innovation? What are you learning? And is it limited to apps, platforms, or tech solutions? Or are we talking about innovation at the business model or service delivery level? So, really good question. And I, I pretty much agree with your central observation, Greg. I mean... I think that there's significant progress in terms of uh, lots of things technological. So clearly, telehealth is a good example of that, and the remote wearables, the sort of migration of care out of hospital settings and into home settings and the like. So there's a whole, I think, um, a whole lot of technology associated with that that's enabling that move. Um, But while I say that, at the same time, we do have this other interesting kind of cross current to which you alluded, which is there is a, a kind of a flattening of the value movement. So a fair number of commentators have written articles lately talking about 
gee, look, the number of ACOs in 2019 actually dropped. Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. We could debate about that, but it didn't double or treble. Um, the kinds of uh, targets that Sylvia Burwell uh, enunciated for ACOs and value-based care were well below those targets that she articulated whatever number of years ago when she was Secretary of Health. So they have this, I guess you would call it frustrating flattening of the value movement. At the same time, however, given the COVID crisis, what it's done to, you know, elective surgery and visits to physicians' offices and pretty much the drying up of revenue for uh, physicians within the fee-for-service model, we see the great failure of that payment model. I mean, we've always known that it incented you know, volume in a bad way and it was a barrier to quality, but now it's you know, running physicians out of business. So its weaknesses have become triply, starkly apparent. Um, and so there's this rising chorus to double down on the value movement. Um, there are proposals to you know, tie funding and relief funding and so forth to movement into value, stipends, grants, and the like. So you have this interesting kind of a conundrum or duality of a flattening value movement. At the same time, there's a call from high levels around Washington, D.C. to accelerate it. So that is the environment, I think, Greg. So what kind of life support is out there during this perhaps pause or flattening and of course, all of this is happening in real time under the pandemic. Well, one bit of life support, and perhaps I spoke too hastily. So we are going to be seeing the commencement of the direct contracted model. So out of CMMI, there's a multiple different models for direct contracting. Right? There's a professional risk model, a global risk model, a geographic model, a couple primary care models. They are all slated to commence in 2021. I think a couple of them on January 21, but the direct contracting models on April 1. And we just yesterday received a whole bunch of guidance from CMS on how they should look. And I think they provided information on benchmarking and risk adjustment stuff, uh, guidance that we've been long awaiting. I don't have the details on it yet. So that could be a major bit of wind in the sails behind the value movement. Certainly we hope so. Beyond that, you know, since there's so much talk about the CARES acts and the relief that's being paid out, there it hasn't happened yet, but there's a couple of really interesting proposals that would tie the payment of uh, relief funds to a move into value. And that's an exciting, sensible thing to do. I mean, we think that there do need to be carrots and sticks to help induce physicians and physician groups to move from fee-for-service into risk contracting. And that is in the offing, I think. We haven't seen it happen yet. We're certainly advocating for it. And by direct contracting, you're talking about uh, direct relationships to, shall we say, risk-bearing medical groups versus um, intermediating through some other third party? Sure, sure. We are talking, thank you for asking that, to clarify this is this we're talking about original Medicare. These are pilot programs that are being uh, introduced and, and launched through the Innovation Center, so CMMI. And indeed, they describe, generally speaking, direct contracts between CMS and physician groups without any intermediary, no health plan intermediary. 
So it's not Medicare Advantage, it's not commercial, it's not Medicaid, this is original Medicare, which is, or at least uh, hitherto, has been 100% fee for service. So these new pilots, you know, propose and purport to change that and through direct contracts, create risk-based arrangements, which would be extremely welcome. I think a boon to CMS that should be able to see sizable savings associated with it and beneficiaries who basically receive better care and higher qualities or results. So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're placing a lot of faith and hope in these new pilots that we're going to be seeing soon. And in, is any of this bubbling up uh, from you too, for instance, CMMI in terms of uh, innovation in, on the business model front? Bubbling up from APG? Correct. Uh, definitely. Well, I mean, we first off like to think that we had a significant hand in the development of these pilots. I mean, we submitted proposals describing these, these very models. And I think CMMI did a good job basically of taking our proposals and improving on them, frankly. So we had a hand in, in, in these models in terms of advocacy. As we look out across our membership, what's bubbling up right now is member after member getting better at uh, risk-based care. So we have, of course, many members that have been doing global capitation for a long time, most of them in California, but not all. But elsewhere across the country, there's some exciting progress by groups Variety of different models, but a number of them very primary care centric. And so we know how important primary care is both for dealing with uh, pandemics, but also dealing with multiple chronic diseases, which is really the big spend area in American healthcare. So you see these primary care centric groups, capitated, sometimes total cost of care models, sometimes not, attracting interest from everyone, but also investors. So some of them are venture capital or private equity supported. Uh, some of them have entered into arrangements with the Walgreens and the CVSs and the Walmarts of the world. So you're seeing, you know, the evolution of a kind of a, a new model and a new kind of collaboration with big different segments of the healthcare industry. All of that's happening. This is bubbling up. This is a function really of the entrepreneurial creativity of, of, of many of my members. Speaking of Walgreens and obviously now Walmart, how, how, does your, how do your members see those initiatives? Are those direct competition? Are there some creative partnerships or JVs that might possibly work? Uh, what do you see? Well, for those of my members that have entered into those arrangements, they would obviously say they're bullish on them. I think other of my members, not so sure. Because if we look in the rearview mirror, we've seen minute clinics and the like in the past that have not succeeded hugely. I think they've had a small impact on the marketplace, but there's renewed effort. So we, for example, are having sort of joint design meetings with Aetna, who is rolling out these health hubs at at the CVS pharmacies. And so we're interested. We see opportunity. I think we believe that we need to develop a more kind of consumer-centric healthcare system but that at the same time is physician group based, well integrated, you know, data supported and IT linked and so on. So big players are entering into that market and we are talking with them and hopefully we can jointly design these these new models together. Without revealing names, can you profile those members who may be more inclined to work with these retail plays or 
hubs, so-called, sure. versus sure, not? I, yeah, I mean, sure, I'm sure. I don't think Village MD would mind if I mentioned that they entered into a, one of these transactions. Iora has entered into a similar transaction. Who am I forgetting right now? There's a couple other like that. And these are really excellent organizations, very innovative, well-managed, doing the right stuff, a lot of high-touch care, uh, a lot of avoidance of waste, uh, really, really kind of uh, representing some of the best of managed care of old, but bring it forward into 2021 in terms of what really works in, you know, particularly with chronic complex patients, frail elderly and the like. We know a lot more about how to take good care of them and avoid cost and improve the quality of their lives. So clearly when you can layer these convenience and accessible uh, sites into a, a broader tas- tapestry of, of a managed network, that's, that, that's a good thing. But is it um, just another layer in cost or does it add value from a triple aim point of view? Time will tell, Greg. So they need to be integrated and not the opposite. So almost repeating your question, will the data, for example, associated with the care at these health hubs, will it be integrated into the uh, data and patient records at the surrounding medical groups? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, well, probably good things will happen. If the answer is no, then it'll be yet another example of the fragmentation in our system, which really dogs us and prevents us from doing good things. So time will tell. Okay, Don, that's great. So let's pivot to a few things that seem to be top of mind for our industry. And number one uh, is cost and transparency. Uh, Are you seeing, are you bullish, you bearish? Do you think, uh, uh, is there improvement here? Where are the prospects? Well, for the, you know, for the American healthcare system, the industry writ large, the total cost of care continues to rise. Generally, I think we're at 18% of the GDP now, three and a half trillion dollars. And it has, you know, there's been some slowing and then increase, but basically the trend line continues to rise unabated. That's, so that's the truth generally. In other settings, though, you see really good results. So some of my members have reduced, you know, hospital utilization by 30 and 40%. And so costs have come down in pockets and in areas for some players. But we got a long ways to go to get that kind of, uh, excellence proliferated across the entire nation. Thank you for that. In a predominantly siloed system that we have, what are your prospects for improvement on the consumer experience front? So I wish I could be more optimistic, but I can't help but observe the patchwork quilt almost, oh, what's the word, dysfunction in our system. I mean, we still have six or eight systems within a system. We have multi-payers. We have different payment models. We have fee-for-service. We have capitation here. We have the VA there. We have commercial here. We have Medicaid, all with different payment schedules, all with different benefit designs. I mean, it's dizzying in its complexity. And things that with that level of complexity probably aren't very efficient and probably do drive costs higher. So I I must confess, I think we've still got a long way to go, Greg. Sadly, I agree with you. Also, uh, so much of the aforementioned tech innovation really focuses on data analytics, the power of 
big data, data analytics integrated into engines that facilitate better decisions at the point of care and obviously in the aggregate retrospectively from a continuous improvement point of view. What's your prospects on the value add from data and analytics? Huge. So the whole the whole growth of artificial intelligence, I think, is going to evolve and become a much, much more important and much more effective component of healthcare. I mean, in the early stages of it now, they seem to be sort of symptom checkers and uh, some support for telephone visits and triaging of patients around, you know, emergency room or urgent care. But this is early generation alternative or um, um, AI. In time, that will become more important. What I think I would add is there's, you know, yes, devices, yes, there's data uh, Im- improvement. But we're also, let's not forget vaccines. I mean, we are in the middle of a COVID crisis and we're going to see a vaccine here one of these days. And that will probably be one of the greatest um, innovations, if that's the right word, in American history. And if you're just tuning into this weekend health innovation, my guest is Don Crane, president and CEO of America's Physician Groups, the nation's leading professional association representing medical groups and independent practice associations modeling best practices and coordinated care. We're discussing the state of value-based health care and previewing the upcoming APG colloquium running November 17th through the 19th. For more information, go to www.apg.org. Well, speaking of COVID, which is the undercurrent of everything we talk about these days, what about the social determinants of health and how do you see that playing into better care, better outcomes at lower per capita costs? Well, I would start by saying that at the moment, at least we're having a conversation now about social determinants, whereas years ago, as in even you know 10, we barely had conversations about social determinants. Now, we know a lot about them. And the COVID crisis has made it all that much more apparent that where there's disparities in nutrition and transportation and in housing, um, it has a negative impact on health status and other things as well. So there's a discussion. There's an increasing awareness of the importance of social determinants, upstreaming, as it's called, get to lifestyle issues. All of that is very healthy sign for um, the prospects of for the future, but we haven't really tackled it yet. There isn't much funding for social determinants. There's no funding for social determinants to speak of in a fee-for-service world, whereas in a capitated world, provided there's risk adjustment and these disparities have a way of increasing the acuity of the population, then in that event, there's funding through the sort of base capitation, but we're nowhere near some of our wealthy countries of the world, the you know Western democracies and so forth, France, Germany, and so on, that spend almost double or triple what we do for social care and spend less than we do for medical care. So we need to basically reallocate resources more in sort of the image of some of these European countries to get to things social because we recognize what a huge cost driver social issues are. So the very fact that we're having a conversation, good thing, tons of work to be done. Okay, last question before the pivot. Health policy. Obviously, the ACA is uh, on life support and at risk of being uh, ruled um, illegal, unconstitutional. I guess the Trump administration is arguing now. 
What are your prospects for um, for the ACA, Medicare for All, the buy-in, block grants, surprise billing, provider directories, association health plans, all those goodies? Can you comment? Well, I'm you know happy to sort of you know forecast the future. I've got a crystal ball here, and luckily it's really clear and being facetious, <laughs> of course. Of course. Yes, you alluded to the Texas versus Azar case, um, which is I think now before the Supreme Court, and uh, we will be having oral arguments soon. Probably a ruling I think next May or June is typically the time. And of course, we don't know what the court will do with it. We saw what the lower courts have done to it. There are interesting and legitimate questions as to the constitutionality of it. Um, The court could throw the whole thing out. A lot of this relates to the absence of what's known as the severability clause in the legislation. So it's not inconceivable that they strike down the whole Affordable Care Act. Um, Hard to imagine, but still not inconceivable. You know, more likely they don't sustain some of the appeals at all. And then it's also, I suppose, possible that they, you know, make small changes to the law. Um, So we'll need to talk to Justice Roberts in the Supreme Court on that. So I think that's the Texas versus Azar case. The Democratic platform right now that uh, our candidate Joe Biden is advocating involves very much an expansion of the Affordable Care Act. So there's talk about you know public option where people could buy into Medicare. There's indeed talk about you know expanding the eligibility or, or making earlier at an earlier age. Uh, people would be eligible for Medicare down from 65 to 55. I don't know the precise uh, number, but those would expand coverage, which is a good thing. I mean, I think the pandemic has made it apparent that we really do need universal coverage. So that is something APG very much wants. But in addition, we must really have delivery model reform. Just providing more coverage and spending more money from let's say governmental sources or from wherever and pumping that into a dysfunctional system that's rife with waste, that's no way to you know, run a railroad station. And so our hope indeed is that the sole focus of the Biden administration, should it be elected, not be focused solely on the expansion of coverage. I mean, that's important, but I'd say more important is fixing our dysfunctional payment model and care models that both need to be done. Excellent. So let's, in the concluding time we have, let's talk a little bit about the APG colloquium that, like many others or all others under the COVID pandemic, is virtual. So tell us a little bit about what you have in store. Well, we're excited about our colloquium. It's coming up on November 17, 18, and 19. When I say 17, 18, 19, that's when it will air. But significant chunks of it will be pre-recorded. This is how these virtual things are done nowadays. Ours is going to be really cool because we've got a very sophisticated platform involving an avatar. So for techie people, this will really be uh, fun and interesting. Also provide really good sort of um, interactive opportunities, particularly between vendors and sponsors and attendees who will be able to talk and chat and so forth. So um, just on a sort of a technical level, we're very excited about that. You know, in terms of faculty and curriculum, as, as, as always, you can expect, I think, the best out of APG. You know, the topics are going to be really interesting. I mean, think about this, Greg. 
So this thing called an election is happening on November 3. Lots of talk about mail-in ballots, lots of talk about, you know, potentially not knowing the results of the election immediately, but in, instead on a delayed basis as, you know, mail-in ballots and so on are mailed. I don't know really how that's going to turn out. My hope and guess and thought is that when our conference occurs on opening on the 17th, so that's almost exactly two weeks following the election, by that time, we would think that we're going to know who our new president is. We may know who, which party controls the Senate and the House. And at that point in time, I think that'll add sort of clarity to our, our curriculum, perhaps, and give us all a lot to talk about. And if indeed we don't know, that too will be something to talk about. So the timing of the election, we think, creates a very charged and exciting atmosphere, which will make our colloquium particularly fruitful and productive for attendees. You know, all of the issues that you and I have talked about here over the last few minutes are going to be on the agenda. I mean, from social determinants to advances in technology to institutional racism, a lot about COVID, including the science of COVID now. And we may have a lot more to learn about vaccine and, you know, the science of, of, of the pandemic is important. And then, you know, then, then, then there's also this issue of, so, is a value movement the answer? Are we going to accelerate it? Are we not? If so, how do we do so? Uh, we'll be diving into the direct contracting model. So groups all around the country should see this as a new opportunity for both new volume and new opportunity to really deliver to the right kind of care as we now know it exists to more people. So we'll be talking a lot about the direct contracting, uh, contracting opportunities. So that in you know, 10 words or less tells you that we're going to have a, really a, uh, a very strong agenda that will be, I think, very, very uh, useful to anyone and everyone that attends. I might add that, you know, think about it. It's spread over three days. You're going to be able to do it without having to fly to Washington, D.C. and rent an expensive hotel room. Um, I can't help but make pitches if I may be so uh, unabashedly shameless. I think our price is pretty low as compared to in-person um, um, colloquium. So here's a chance to really learn a lot and uh, participate a lot, frankly, for a, a reasonable cost. So I think it's a good opportunity for people. And where does one go for more information? Our webpage, apg.org, has all of the buttons, bells, and whistles necessary for you to register right now. Well, Don, thanks for your time today. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Stay well. And that is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Don Crane, President and CEO of America's Physician Groups, for his time and insights today. Do follow APG and Don's work on Twitter via at AMER, A-M-E-R, Phys, P-H-Y-S, Groups, G-R-P-S, all abbreviated, and at Don, D-O-N, Crane, C-R-A-N-E, respectively. And for more information on the APG Colloquium, a virtual event scheduled for November 17th through the 19th, go to www.apg.org. For This Week in Health Innovation, America's Physician Groups and Don Crane, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. We will get through this only together and do mask up when in public we can slow the spread of this deadly virus. Bye now.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.